You're listening to the iFanboy.com All Media Year End Roundup. This is part two brought to you by Graphically. iFanboy.com's 2011 All Media Year End Roundup. This is part two. If you want to go back in the feed and listen to part one, we talked about movies and TVs. You can do that. But we got other stuff now. This is the second part, and there's a lot left to do. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And Ron Richards. Hello. iFanboy.com is our website that we started to talk about comics, and that's what we do there 99.9997% of the time. But uh, every year, it's become a tradition that for our last show, and, and in this case, our last two shows of the year, we're going to open it up and talk about some of the other things going on that we like. We are going to touch on comics a little bit at the end of this, so that's what we do. And before we get going, we're going to talk about – I don't know if this even applies to this so much. We're going to talk about spoilers, I guess, a little well, yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean we're talking yeah, – we might talk – we might reveal things we'll, that detail. We'll have, so, yeah. ga- we're going to talk about games, books, some podcasts, yeah. some music, and then some comics. We're going to end up with some comics. So uh, we have a lot to do, so we should get right to it. This year, I didn't play any new video games, so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neither did I, unless it was on my iPhone. Well, yeah, as you know, as you know, we're, we're in all the other years, like while we enjoy video games, we're not as big gamers as a lot of you out there in the audience. We're, you know, I, I'm self-professed a casual gamer. Those people who are picking up games the day it comes out and going home playing okay. all the way through. All I know Come is on. that there's something called Skyrim, and it scares the, the bejesus out of me. Like, what the fuck is going on? I have no go- time for that. <laughs> no. all I, know I, want, I want to a little bit. I will say this. For reasons we'll get into later on in the show, I kind of want to play World of Warcraft again. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. But everyone's talking about Skyrim, but they're like, they're like, oh, wow, I got more books. It's like, what the fuck is this game? It's like... <laughs> I have books. It's so weird. Anyway, but so there were two games that actually I played a lot this year and had a lot of fun and more in uh, the latter part of the year. The first one is uh, WWE All-Stars. <laughs> <laughs> and say what you will. That's going way back. I, I don't watch wrestling. I used to watch wrestling. I watched wrestling back in the 80s and a little bit in the 90s in college and stuff like that. But Josh might recall, might remember the days of yore of our senior year of college when Gordon, the intern, Josh and I holed up in a, in a room during a party and played WCW Revenge for hours. And it was some of the most fun I've ever had. And ever since that night... I've been looking for another wrestling game to recreate that moment, that unbridled mayhem that comes with professional wrestling. But I don't Meng? know. I don't know any Meng? <laughs> Meng? I don't know any of the um, any of the current wrestlers now. I just found out about this CM Punk guy. Do you know about this guy? He's a there's I know a nothing about wrestling. There's a wrestler in WD, WWE, and his gimmick is he's a hardcore straight edge guy. So of course he's your favorite. Yeah. Well, I. I, I <laughs> It's like, it's amazing. You know, do you know him from shows? No, no, I don't, actually. That's the funny thing. But anyway, so WWE All-Stars comes out, and it's much like that old WCW Revenge game we played in that where it's not very realistic. It's very cartoony. It's very kind of over the top, and it's um, encompassing all the history of the WWE. So while you can play like CM Punk or you can play like um, recent people who I don't know who they are. Um, they're really old. Yeah, Rey Mysterio or whatever, but you can play as – Bret Hart or Macho Man or nice. R- Ricky the Dragon Steamboat or like Are, all. Can you be any of the more racist, uh, the Iron Sheik or? <laughs> no, Iron Sheik's Junkyard Dog. I love Iron Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog is great. Uh, you can download Honky Tonk Man as a as a DLC, so that's pretty awesome. good. What but about Roddy Piper? Yeah, <laughs> Roddy Roddy Piper's in it. Roddy Roddy Piper's in Hacksaw it. Jim Duggan. He's not in it. Um, I don't care so, now. So it came out, and I had a bunch of my buddies come over one night after we got comics on Wednesday, and we you know we got some beer and we pizza and played WD, and it was so much fun. There's this the steel cage match is a blast. Like oh, and nice. it's and like thing is I can't I don't know like these up left right button X Y Z I don't know these combinations. I just, I button mash, I button mash and even I can be I even I can win. Uh, and I gotta tell you, the moment you pick up Andre the Giant and body slam him, that you feel good about yourself. So, <laughs> so that was a ton of fun. But then in a similar vein, a couple of weeks after that, uh, well, no, it came out during the summer, and then a new version came out just recently. But Marvel vs. Capcom three came out after years of leading up to it, and talk uh, again, button mashing, fighting, fun. I don't know anything about the Capcom characters. I know nothing about these people. But there's a whole side of the screen is all Marvel characters, and there is. So much fun playing as Magneto, playing as Thor, playing as Cap. And what I think is hysterical is that there's all these, you know, fighting combinations with the buttons and things like that. But there's a controller setting. So there's normal controller and simple. <laughs> what so, did you use, Ron? So I always switch it. I'm a, I'm a simple man. I just want to <laughs> punch and kick. That's all I- 
So, uh, so, is it punch button? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I'm able to go head to head with my buddy who like is plays in tournaments and is a, a real video gamer and have a blast doing it. And the best part of Marvel vs. Capcom is that you can um, change their costumes. And the level of like, Ooh. and the thing is, honestly, that could be an entire game. You give me a game where I can dress up Marvel Comics characters, and I'll play it for hours. I'll just change costumes. So you can make because you set up a team, you pick three characters that you're going to fight. So you can make them so they have complementary color combinations, but then they're also pulling in historical costumes. So for example, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom three, they added Ghost Rider, and one of his costumes is a leather jacket with the Fantastic Four logo on it. Nice, right? Like little things like that, or like Jean Grey. You can get various incarnations of Phoenix, Stark Phoenix, you know. Green Phoenix, Grant Morrison's run Phoenix costume, and they just recently brought out uh, the Jim Lee 1990s Phoenix uh, 1990s uh, Jean Grey costume. So it's the buckles render, render the buckles. The, render the, the pouches are there; they're good. Good with with Captain America. You can download DLC. You can give him the Captain Steve costume. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Fine. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of it's a lot of fun in that way. And, and U.S. agent costume because I always like that one. Uh, yeah, there is. They also have the Punisher cap costume. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, I know, but still. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, with the new Ultimate vs. Marvel, Capcom, they, my dream come true, they added Rocket Raccoon and Nova. And, like, <laughs> talk about bliss. That's just like, oh, Hulk, you can change Hulk to be Red Hulk, so you can fight as Red Hulk, which is awesome. Like, it's just great. It's Red just, Hulk it, versus Green Hulk, I assume. Yeah, of course. And they have Blue Hulk, and they have Red She-Hulk, and all. Uh, and it's uh, Red Hulk, Blue Hulk, and Green Hulk, and they go out and have adventures? <laughs> but anyway. And, like, um, they go to get a burrito? <laughs> Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is a ton of fun. Any comic book fan, I'm sure you're all playing it already, but I've had a blast playing it. So there you go. That's video games for 2011. Well, <laughs> let's talk about We are books. not gamers. No, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about books. I didn't give a lot of time to read books this year, mostly because of the last book we're going to talk about. But one set of books I did read was the Hunger Games trilogy. Now, I hadn't heard of this trilogy at all until everyone started talking about it once they started casting the movie. And suddenly everyone on Twitter was saying, oh, the Hunger Games. And I, was, I thought, I should probably look into this. So I did. And it was a trilogy of books written by Suzanne Collins. It's a young adult series, but it's incredibly violent and incredibly addictive. The first book, I, I didn't sleep when I started reading it. I basically had to read it all the way through. You couldn't put the page down. Basically, the story is this young girl in this far-off time is sent to uh, the Hunger Games. The society's been broken up into these districts, and there's 13 districts, and every district sends two kids to go fight in the Hunger Games wars for the entertainment of the entire district. And it's awful and brutal and violent and kids killing each other and it's about survival and, and overcoming the system that's put them in this position. And the trilogy is fantastic and I'm really looking forward to the movies. You know, if you're looking for an action-adventure series, and you can, you can give it to everybody. Everybody in my family read it of all different ages and genders and they all loved it and it's uh, incredibly fun, especially the first book. It's just fantastic. I haven't finished this yet, but I'm tearing through it like a bat out of hell. I got the Steve Jobs uh, biography by Walter Isaacson, which I was, I was in no way interested in reading it should be noted but what happened was that somebody mentioned that it was by walter isaacson and i was like oh because i had read books of his before uh, yeah, the ben franklin one, that was i really liked the ben franklin book a lot yeah. and i thought well that's that's a different take on it because you know if you're going to write a book on steve jobs i'm sure there are a hundred of them out there but this one's Plus, a, he was a real he deal cooperated with it so he had you but know. he also said to him write whatever you want i don't want i don't want approval yeah, no, and well, that was the thing is, is and Isaacson was like, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't want to. Let's give him some more time and see what happens. And then Jobs' wife said, uh, if you're going to do it, you need to do it now. And that was a couple of years ago. And I'm sure that Ron knows most of these stories and most of these characters involved. I need to. Um, I do need to read it. I want to see it. But yeah, I know a lot of the, there's a lot of the urban legends and the the yeah, stories and, yeah, and it yeah. and it puts sort of truth to a lot of these. And it, it it's riveting. It's a page turner. It doesn't at the end of it or or in the middle of it like. You get a very clear idea of who Steve Jobs is, uh, and and you don't know if you like him or not. Yeah, you he, doesn't, no, he doesn't come off very well, but he he would. Oh, he does not. Oh, he's an, um, an asshole. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole. But, yeah, yeah. You know, and they talk about whether you know some at one point a character talks about whether he has you know nar- narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. And he's at the very least he's a fascinating character. He's obviously extremely intelligent, and I think that from the very early stuff on, even when they're building you know the Apple II and the Macintosh, you see and hear themes that have come through to stuff that I'm seeing on my devices right now. And I say this, I'm recording this on a MacBook Pro. I have an iPhone yeah. 4S next to me. You can't, I mean, you can't deny, yeah, I, I, mean, it, I, I mean we say he's an asshole and I know all these stories and stuff like that but he was a visionary and the, no, there's, there's the impact no doubt on our life. Yeah, yeah, and totally. he's no different than, you know, you know what this book reminds me of is if you read books about m- maniacal film directors or if you watch, like, read like uh, Easy Rider for Aging Bulls and you hear those stories about, you know, uh, Francis Ford Coppola going insane on, on a set and you know, he's like that. That's what this book is like. 
but in a way that was much more impactful in the world, really. Like, there's just one little story where, like, they're building the Mac and the guy is building Windows and, and they're getting, they get really excited because they come in one day and they're like, look, we can draw circles and ovals with it now. And everybody's like, hey, because no one had been able to do that before. And which shows you how long ago computer technology was. And Steve's like, yeah, big deal. Can you do uh, rectangles with rounded corners? And they get in this huge argument. And the guy's like, we don't need to do it. It's just, and he goes, follow me. And he shows them. And they go outside. They just start pointing out things that have rectangles with rounded corners. And, and I look down at my phone that I'm listening to it on. And I'm like, oh, look, rectangle with rounded corners. Like it's just everything that sort of started early on is the same stuff that's, that's in our lives sort of computing right now. And the dude did change the world. There's no doubt. And he talked about it like that from the beginning. It's a really great read and highly recommended. So this is also the year you went to audiobooks. Uh, I had to. In a way, and again, that was I just got this because I had a credit, so I was like, "Oh, I'll get that, I guess." Um, but it's it's funny because I almost can't do. Like, I, I'm finding excuses to do things that I can just listen to the book because I've been reading that George Washington book now for about six months, and I'm only about 200 pages. <laughs> well, I mean, con- conversely to that, this year, I mean, so you guys know, I mean, we kind of joked about it in previous years. Like, my reading has really dropped off this in this decade. Like, I used mm-hmm. to be an avid reader. I used to work at the library, do all stuff like that. But doing, you know, the majority of what I'm reading is comics now and graphic novels and things like that. And so my, my prose reading has gotten really down. But right around January or so, I bought an iPad, and then uh, going back to the Steve Jobs theme, and then hooked up with uh, the Kindle app. And and you guys you guys can attest to the this in one year I am looking on the Kindle app I have read ten books yeah and admittedly you know some of them are like I read both you know the two Anthony Bourdain books you know which are what are those light reading Kitchen Confidential and Medium Raw and stuff like that but uh, you know I've been uh, on a reading tear and part of it was I mentioned earlier after Midnight in Paris I went and I downloaded the the Great Gatsby and read that finally and that was cool but right around June I got a book called See a Little Light which was the autobiography of Bob Mould who, you know, I'm a big music fan and, you know, and it's always interested in these, you know, these these kind of icons. Bob Mould was in Husker Du in the 80s and then he was in Sugar in the 90s and now he's doing his solo thing throughout this past decade. I mean, fascinating story. Like, I kind of like autobiographies, I'm like, oh, wow, you're so great. You deserve to write a book about yourself. But like Bob Mould has had an amazing experience just between the fact that, you know, he was gay. I mean, he is gay. His being gay in the punk scene in the 80s when it was like kind of like a, a – he wasn't out, but everyone knew. And so it was like a respectful secret kind of thing. And then getting outed by Spin Magazine in the 90s and then him coming to terms with his sexuality and, and kind of embracing it in the late 90s and like getting into like the DJ kind of club scene and all that kind of stuff. It's fascinating for a, a world that I didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. And then layered in with that is his creative endeavors and as a musician and how he would change location, how he would move and that would change the songs that he's written and like he lived in Minnesota and how that affected his songwriting then he moved to New York and how that affected and then he went to Austin, Texas and then DC and now he's in San Francisco and just like the impact of setting on his creativity and just also his approach to his music career and how you know Husker Du was this thing and how he you know he, you know he looks back on it fondly but because of all the shit that happened and the drugs and stuff like that like he doesn't want to ever reunite and here's why and like it's just such great insight to a musician that I've loved for 20 plus years and I actually got the opportunity to see him and Shep Ferry have a conversation here in San Francisco around the book and talk about his life and then he performed some songs and we did he did a Q&A I asked a question like a dork I totally asked the question and then I got my book signed and gushed to him a little and just totally like kind of hero worship kind of thing but the book is amazing and if you're into the music if you're into the idea of a creative life or a creative endeavor it's it's really inspiring to read I, I love that I read that in the same comic book realm we had Super Gods by Grant Morrison this year where his take on the history of comics his own career the nature of superheroes how they relate to us as a people it's a really fascinating read one part comic book history which is basically the first part of the book which i thought was absolutely brilliant and his take and an incisive sort of analysis of the different eras of comics and why they became the way they were and why the books were that way and and it's funny i was recently looking through a a book of old superman covers and i came across a bunch of covers of women trying to trap superman in the marriage there's a whole section about that in the book and i laughed hardly because i i didn't really know about that before but now i do because of grant morrison's analysis which was great second half is a little less interesting because it's about his career which is interesting enough, but it just it wasn't the book sort of changed gears in the middle and became autobiography. Um, not as interesting, but it's, it's hard to explain. It was I was reading one book and it changed to another book. It was an interesting second book, but it wasn't what I was started off with. But still, if you're at all into comic books or the or superheroes or Grant Morrison's career, it's it's, it's definitely a must read. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you if you've been listening to me do these shows basically for the last however many years, uh, you'll know that Neil Stevenson is my favorite author. I started with Snow Crash. That was pretty good. I read uh, Cryptonomicon. I fell in love. 
And then I read the Baroque trilogy, and I, I just thought this it, it you know can't be better. And Atham was okay. Now before um, we get into this, I want to say I'm I'm 200 pages from the end. Yeah, I'm so, I'm 80 okay. percent through. So yeah, so, okay, yeah, okay, yes, okay, I, fair enough. I, yeah, yeah. This and by by the way, everyone needs to know that while like this is we all have our picks and we're talking about our books. And Josh was the first one. Reem D has completely overtaken all three of us. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's destroying my life. It's just, I mean, really, like, I almost tweeted last night, like, there is only Reem D. There, <laughs> there is no Ron. There, there, is, is, there is only Reem D. And, and it, by the way, where you guys are, yeah. it's not a good place to stop. No, like, I know. That's, I know. I, it's yeah. ruining my life. I'm not getting much sleep. It's, I'm uh, at the point where I'm at the – oh, where am I? Uh, what's Neil her face? Olivia just went dark. That's where I'm okay. at. Okay. Yeah. Neil Stevenson, in some strange – reversal of how everything is taught to you and how you're supposed to write stories has decided that instead of paring everything down to the absolute essentials he's going to tell you everything yeah and he gets into such livid detail of of the characters their lives the things around them the stuff that's happening that you can't get enough of it um yeah. and, and it shouldn't work that way with most writers it doesn't but it doesn't always so, work for him and Athens has no. a lot of problems with that. But this, true. this is very uh, – So basically like, what the story is uh, in a very big nutshell – I mean it's a thousand-page book. You can't boil it down to one thing. But he wanted to do a thriller. But he's going to do it in the style that he does it. So you have a video game magnate, a guy who used to be a basically a drug mule who would carry marijuana down from Canada in the United yeah. States. And he got some money and he put it into starting a company where they built Well, first a, he, bought a, he bought a, ski, a house, which turned into a ski yeah. lodge, which then he right. turned that around into, a, into the company. with the, He starts a video game that's a, a, a successor to World of Warcraft called uh, T-Rain. And it sounds uh, awesome. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. It makes all of us, we all had our World of Warcraft problems and we want that. His niece gets into some shit because of stuff that her boyfriend did. They get kidnapped by, by the Russian mob, and then it starts off this adventure that basically goes through Russia and China. To, tra- and to track down a hacker, a Chinese hacker who wrote yes. a virus, basically. Called yes. Reemdy. Yeah. 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 Yes. Called Reemdy. And that's just in the first 100 pages. I they mean, in China, they're in Canada. But then they factor in an Islamic fundamentalist terrorist, and it becomes this world stage thriller of there's spies, there's American special forces agents. It's, this book it's, has it, everything. There's a, the, you know, one of Richard's brothers is like a super right wing, living off the grid, you know, Christian fundamentalist. And his other brother is missing a leg. And because he was in the war, it's just, it, it just, it encompasses all of these things and with this huge cast of characters. And I, could not stop. And it was fu- it was funny because end. I was I was immediately fascinated by the Richard Forthrest mm-hmm. character, the main character, the guy who created this the thing. And they were they, like I tell my friend of mine who work in video games, like you need to read this because there's this stuff about game mechanics and story versus function and like from a technical standpoint it's fascinating. And then they got away from that and they got into the niece in China tracking down the hacker and I was like, "Oh, just get back to Richard. Just get back to Richard." And as I'm reading it, I find myself Every character, I'm like, just get back to that character. Like, just get back to that character. Like, <laughs> I want to see and what's going. That's the go- best kind of thing. Yeah, and there's like, and there's literally like, there's maybe like four or five theaters going on at the same time mm-hmm. of people happening. And like, and right now the point I'm at in the book, and it's all starting to tie together like a Seinfeld episode where they're all kind of coming <laughs> back together. And it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. It's like that's how Cryptonomicon was. Yeah. There's also a really strong, basically, what's a female protagonist? Yes. Uh, yep. And that, that's important to be mentioned because it's an action thriller for the most part, and she's not uh, hobbled by anything. Uh, right. She's a fully realized character in the middle of it. I like some things we've mentioned before in the show or the, the previous episode is that I went into it knowing nothing. I just knew it was a new Neil Stevenson book. Yep, I knew it had a strange you- title. I went into it. I was, remember reading on the couch one Saturday afternoon and when I got to the part where suddenly the game pops up and I went, oh, this yeah. is going to be trouble. Like yeah. it, it just, it, you never know what to expect from Neil Stevenson and I think well, not, not knowing is the best part. A friend of ours, uh, Mr. Van Neal, that Connor will know, had tweeted something along the lines of, yes. Neil Stevenson needs to write video games. And I was like, you shut your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that he'd been reading it ahead of me. Yeah. Because I didn't know what the book oh, was God. about. Neil Ste- I, mean, I, I mean, Neil Stevenson was like, I read Snow Crash like right when it came out and it blew my mind. And, and I, 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 I kind of see this as a, as a, not a predecessor, not, you know, but I see a kinship because, you know, because Snow Crash took place in a cyber kind of future and, you know, like a lot of ideas that were not there. And I, what I love is Stevenson is able to take pre-existing things that are happening in our world and create this new stuff around it. And it's incredible. Like, I'm a technical guy. The, te- the technology in this book is 100% accurate. Like all, all the stuff, all the stuff that you guys are reading about what they're doing and what, what, all that stuff is—that's all real stuff. He's brilliant. It's great. I can't, I can't say enough good things about this book. Yeah, 
It's consumed um, us all at the same time, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and for all of us, like, we are busy dudes. Yeah. Like, there's this huge book that's come out, and we, we've all got to get it. And it's, it really, Neil Stevenson at this point is a, a sight unseen, buy and read it, doesn't yes. matter. Yeah. What's funny is that I was, I was remember reading the book a few weeks ago, and I got to a certain point, and I remember putting it down, thinking, oh, man, I'm. I looked at the page and I'm so far into it. And then I looked at what I hadn't got to and I had a whole other book left. Yeah. Well, it's like I'm, re- I'm reading it on, on the iPad and the Kindle and you get the little like percent complete. And it's like I just re- was reading for hour- like one Sunday. I just took three hours and sat down and read, which I never do. And I was like, I barely made 10%. Like, just- <laughs> <laughs> That's so, the best. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. You, want the- you know what's really fascinating is that if you go to Amazon or wherever, you can see the reviews of it from people and – there's a lot of people who don't like it, oh, yeah, I'm not which surprised. like a lot of people say, boring. The characters aren't good. It's too long. It's I was like, I, I don't yeah. know where you are with this, but I do not. I'm not there with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. nuts. Well, something else that has obsessed all three of us at the same time uh, as we move into podcasts is the Mates podcast. Mike and Tom eat snacks, <laughs> which I on have the to, internet. I have to admit, I'm going to admit this. I didn't know what Mates stood for for about four episodes. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, didn't, I, thought, I, didn't. I thought I'd missed something. I thought there was another show somewhere. They kept saying the mates, the mates show, and I was like, "What? Do they have another podcast?" And then it's, it's one not day just they you. Said and I went, "Oh, okay." It, it's it, this is this is the best po- this is the best new podcast ever. Mike and Tommy Snacks. If you, if you listen to this show, you listen to our show. You'll know it's, it's seeped into our show quite a bit. It's Michael Ian Black and Thomas Cavanaugh who both run were on Ed together a lot, many years ago on NBC. And Michael Ian Black, you'll know from a lot of things on TV. Tom Cavanaugh is a working actor who you don't see in as much stuff. He does a lot of kids. Well, stuff well, Michael Ian Black, you might, you might recognize from uh, the I Love the '80s and '90s stuff on VH1 all those years ago. And yes. and and then Tom Cavanaugh was uh, in the Yogi Bear movie. No, he does a lot of theater. Well, don't don't was, uh, don't don't push down Yogi Bear. I'm going back and uh, listening to the old mates shows. And Michael Ian Black rips on him for being in Yogi Bear. Yes. Oh yeah, that's where I am right now. It's <laughs> great because I because I listened to a bunch at the end, yeah. and then I'm now I'm going back. So and I, like, I got into the show from my sister somehow who found it, and she told me I had to listen to the show. And I listened to it. And they only did a couple episodes in the beginning, and then they started doing more, and then I passed it on to you guys because I know you like Michael Ian Black. I love Michael. Basically, Ian Black. the whole the whole show is they pick a snack, they eat a snack, and they rate a snack. It's the per system. And they basically, it's, 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 they eat a snack and they talk about it. But that's only half the show. Usually the other half of the show is just them babbling about whatever, improving, uh, doing, doing comedy, which is, uh, it's hilarious. It's, it's, it's hysterical. If you it's know high how, level improv. If you know how improv works, basically, whatever the one person says, the other person just has to go with it. And they, they follow that to a T. Yeah, you know, if, like if, if somebody Josh, says something, he was anti-Semitic and hated Jews. He would he would agree and he would go. Yeah, with it. that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what's great is the, time, the times when they actually shock each other yeah. <laughs> when they break. It's great. Yeah, it is. It is really good. Oh. I really like it when Black goes faux racist. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he said something about a Chinese laundry one point, and I I <laughs> fell over. Michael Ian Black is great. What, and what I love is that I love that you get the, the the relationship between the two guys. Like I, that's hysterical. It's a perfect length. It's about the half an hour. You know, and it's just like some of the shit they get into and like the way they go they go way far around the bend then they come back to the snack and it just like it's and, the, and the snack is 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 actually rated yes yeah, yeah. no they, they, the, they take, the, they're, they're serious about their snacks yeah Yep. In a way not, that we are about comics, they are serious about yeah, snacks. Yeah, well, it's a yeah. snack game. You know, you can't mess around the snack, the snack game. Tough yeah. game. Yeah, so it's at um, matescast.com, and they were on a little bit of a hiatus, but it looks like they're back. And so um, there's like 40 or so episodes going right now. They've been doing it for about a year. It's like, literally, it's. I've been driving a lot for a gig that I have in about 45 minutes in the car, and I get like each way, I get like two or three episodes. I've been catching up on the back ones. It's just every one is funnier than the one before it. It really is the, yeah. my favorite podcast on, yeah. on the internet. On the internet. It's very on good. The internet. Um, if you're talking about podcasts in 2011, it's almost impossible to not talk about the WTF podcast with Mark like Marin. This is the year it blew up. I feel like. Oh yeah. You have, yeah. Oh, completely. I'm not sure when it is. I started. I know what episode. I listened to it for I started. the first time this year. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, somebody had mentioned the Judd Apatow episode. And I was like, oh, I'll go listen to that. It's fine. And and I actually know who Mark Marin is because I used to watch a lot of comedy when I was I did, younger. I did too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that he was the guy from Short Attention Span Theater. And I knew that he was a, a stand-up. And uh, he's a stand-up comic and he interviews other comics for the most part with some variance in that. And they do long discussions. And you either like Mark or you don't, I think is sort of how it goes because he's not an objective interviewer in these things. And I think that that one of his things is if he can get into who the the other person is, he can find something to relate with them. Then then people start talking about stuff that 
people don't normally talk about, I suppose, especially from an entertainment standpoint. But they're also entertainers who are not, they're not the height of entertainment. They're in the middle of entertainment. They're working entertainers, if they're lucky. And comedians are fascinating people. <laughs> I used to love stand-up comedy, comedy and I used to want to do it. But now that I'm listening to this over and over again, I realize I'm not nearly broken enough to have done it. That's one of the things that I've got. And, uh, you know, episodes are hit and miss. But there's definitely been some really interesting stuff that's happened over the last year, and the show's sort of blown up for him. Uh, and it's been very good to see that because I, I think it's neat because he, he, you know, he operates in that middle ground of entertainment, which is really hard. Hard. He's to not get even. By. He's not even in the middle ground. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He, he's getting he, there. They, they had a great feature on him, Entertainment Weekly, a couple months ago, where they talk about the show. It's a really interesting show. I've only listened to maybe four or five episodes total, but if you're all interested in that sort of world, the comedy world or the show business world, it's fascinating. I listened to the Jason Sudeikis episode that talked a lot about Saturday Night Live, yeah. which was really interesting. Yeah, he's had a lot of guys on who have been really big or guys who aren't, but like they're all sort of connected. They all knew each other. There's different sort of comedy scenes that, that went together. And if you like comedy, if you like stand-up, like this is the thing but you it's like, it's also it's, it's not funny, right? It is something. Like, I mean, but, no, but but I heard, but I've heard. I don't listen to it, but I've heard like it's serious conversations. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, you've got two comedians, and when they do crack each other, I listen like the Norm Macdonald one. Norm had me dying. Yeah. Like he was killing me with with being funny. And like, and some people don't like Norm Macdonald. So like, it's very. It's very – I don't want to say it's hit or miss because they all sort of go in with the same kind of thing. Then the other thing is like each episode starts with 20 minutes or so of Mark just talking about some stuff. Yeah. And, and I've, I found it to become strangely compelling whereas normally I would find that irritating. If another show that interviews comedians did that, I would stop listening to it like I did right. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> cool. Oh, I, I'm going to lead you into this. So every once in a while, Ron will come up to me or, or Connor or both of us and say, this is the greatest thing ever. You have to listen to it. It happens with a lot of regularity. And sometimes I have to say, no, no, Ron, I can't. But when I was moving my house, I needed a lot of stuff to listen to. So I started listening to the Topolowski files. And? Go. and? I'll, I'll let you know. Go ahead. Tell me about it. So, I mean, I, I think we talked about it last year. It's been around for a while, but it's, it's Stephen Tobolowsky, who you might recognize from, he's an actor. He's been, recently he's been on Glee. He was the ex-Glee, he was the ex-Glee teacher, now, now marijuana dealer. He's been on the Californication. He's been on, um, you might know him most notably from Groundhog's Day, where he's uh, the... Um, Ned. Ned. Ned Ryerson. Ryerson. Bing! But, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, when you see him, you're going to recognize him. And I've always been a big fan of him. A couple of years ago, there was a documentary called Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, and Connor and I were anxiously awake. It. Hysterical trailer where he's at Sundance asking people who Stephen Tobolowsky is, and the answers are hysterical. But it's basically it was just a documentary of on the day of his birthday. He loves to tell stories, and it was just a documentary of Stephen Tobolowsky with his family and friends telling stories. It w- it's really charming. It's a lot of fun to watch. Go, it's on Netflix. It's on iTunes. Watch it if you can. But then Slash Film, the we- we- great website, movie website, interviewed Tobolowsky about the movie when the DVD was released and stuff like that. And then you know, I give I'll give him credit. They got the idea. They said, well, why don't we just keep do a podcast with you where you tell these stories every week. And so these are tales of life, love, and the entertainment industry. And Stephen Tobolowsky has an amazing knack to tell stories. Yes. And he he's has... a great writer. He's a great writer, and he's had an amazing life. An amazing life. And that doesn't even cover it. Yeah, exactly. I've laughed. I've cried. I've gotten choked up. Like, it is some of the tales that he's told about his relationship, his first girlfriend, and then with his current wife, and the stuff that's happened to him, and trying to be an actor in this world, and all the stuff that he's gone through. It, it's it's a mu- it, I downloaded it. I listened to it the day I downloaded it. It's a must-listen every, every actually, week. Every time. Actually, Marin was the – I listened to – Tobolowsky went on Marin's show. Yeah. And I listened to that, and, I, and he told the story about breaking his back. And oh, I was yeah. like, holy fuck. Yeah. That's when I started listening. So you were right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's unbelievably compelling. And he has had amazing experiences. He broke his back and almost died. He, was a, he runs into these random celebrity people and, and influences their lives. His friends have Well, the, the, the one, the, the, the one that, that blew my mind the most, which I think I immediately ran, I was trying, when Josh and I was trying to get you to listen to it, was the fact that he <laughs> worked with David Byrne in the 80s to help write the True Stories movie that, that David Byrne did. And in doing that, he became friends with David Byrne and told David Byrne a story about how... Uh, his psychic ability. His psychic ability to pick up, you know, to hear radio waves in his head or whatever during the 70s and stuff like that. And so David Byrne then took that story and wrote a song that was called Radiohead that Tom York and the guys in the band Radiohead named the band after the Talking Heads song. So the band Radiohead is named because of Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen Tobolowsky played with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Stevie's first recorded music ever as teenagers. Yep. 
he is the cultural nexus of the universe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what he is. And he's amazing and he's humble and he's a he's a great person and he's so like he's loving and he's he, he believes in family. Like like I just like I want I wish I knew him. And like what's great is that we've talked on Twitter. Like it's been this great w- connection of with his audience and he realizes that he has a ton of fans and they're doing live shows now and meetups and things like that. And it's just a great story. I just love Tobo. He's great. He's great. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting looking to the life of a working actor. Yeah. I mean, you would elevate him above 90% of the actors in Hollywood. Yep. Because he works regularly, he's recognizable, but he's also not rich and not yep. super famous and just lives his life. He's got a wife and a dog and problems like everybody else. He runs out of money and it's, it's interesting to look at but sort of behind the curtain at a face you recognize or therefore you think is a successful, rich, famous actor who is actually just a normal person. Yeah, to see what's, what's under the surface of what's the real story and it's just it's fascinating. I just love it. Uh, it's so great. So yeah, so this is some great podcasts that we enjoy that we, that we listen to when we're not making our own, making podcast. our own podcasts or whatever. But in addition to podcasts, Podcast. Uh, segment starts. In addition, in addition to podcasts, we also listen to music. And it's not Speed just me. Up. Josh is in there as well, but I'll go quick. Uh, so my year in music, big music fan. Everyone knows that. My, I tweet about it a lot and all that stuff. But so this year, I just want to highlight a couple of albums that we enjoyed. So first up, the most recent one that I've enjoyed is uh, totally unsuspecting to me, but Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. So Noel Gallagher of Oasis fame finally came out with some new material. Oasis broke up fabulously. Liam Gallagher, the singer of Oasis, took the rest of the band and they formed BDI, which I'm not a really big fan of. But then Noel just went into the studio and started writing and wrote an amazing album. Well, he was always the writer, right? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was always the, the main writer. One. And, and what, I re- what I realized was that the, the Oasis songs I really loved were the Noel songs. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. always a talented songwriter, and Liam was the yeah. sort of face and the bad boy and the singer. Exactly. And so this album is it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, Josh, I, I think you would really dig it. I mean, it's Yeah, it's, I, I looked into it. I'll look into it further. It's really, really good. Um, I saw him live, and, and what was hysterical was that we're, we're sitting there, me and my buddy Eric are, are at the show, and, we're, and he turns to me, he's like, I think he's just playing the album in order. And so we take out our phones and we look and sure enough, he'd play like the first three songs from the album, then a B-side, then the next three songs, and then a B-side. Like he played the album just straight. <laughs> and then um, he also, then then he uh, takes a break and pulls out an acoustic guitar and does an amazing reworked uh, acoustic version of Wonderwall, which I didn't expect. And mm-hmm. then he closed the show with Don't Look Back in Anger. And like, I didn't go to that show expecting to see any Oasis songs. Like I didn't want to see any Oasis songs. And he played like three or four Oasis songs. They were great. And the, the new songs were great. Great live and oh, just, I can't recommend it enough. It was it's, it was really really good. Hmm. So that was No Gallagher. Additionally, uh, a band called Rival Schools came out with an album early in March. Rival Schools featured uh, Walter Schreifels, who I think this year for me, the year in music has been my uh, renewed obsession with both Bob Mould, who I talked about earlier, and Walter Schreifels. Walter was in the hardcore band Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today back in the late '80s, early '90s. Then he was in a post-hardcore band called Quicksand in the '90s, which is really kind of a lot of the bands that a lot of people listen to now in the alternative scene. Are, like they owe a lot to Quicksand for their sound. And then he did a band in one called Rival Schools, and they put an album and they toured a little bit, then they went away. And since then, he's been doing solo stuff and just kind of you know on, you know his own kind of thing. But Rival Schools came back and came back really strong. Came, the album's called Pedals, and it's great kind of post-hardcore just you know just general indie kind of you know strong guitar based rock and it's just and i've i got to see walter play like four or five times this year just between rival school shows and his own solo shows and it's always a great time and so if you have any if you if you remember quicksand if you remember any of those kind of bands you definitely want to check out rival schools because it was just so much so much it's like it's good power rock which i know sounds weird, uh, like a power speaking bottom. of no speaking it's, of power uh, rock it's always a scary thing when a band you really like comes out with a new album, yeah. especially if they seem to keep getting more popular because you don't know what's going to happen. And very recently, the Black Keys released El Camino, and if you know, they're a big band, although that's relative. <laughs> they're, they're not a big band. They're, I know, but you know, in terms they're of getting bigger. Rock, they're, yeah. In terms they of rock bands, yeah. well, they're a band that you know them because they've been on every commercial and every movie because that's how they support making music. But they actually still make really good music at the same time. El Camino came out and they were a blues band, basically it's two white guys doing blues, which is usually not a f- formula for success. But they've been around for a while. And the last album was sort of like it was like pop blues almost. Danger Mouse had a lot to do with it, and it was uh, it was good. I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. This new album. Album is it's a rock album. It's like rock and blues, which is you know with these with really fuzzed out, powerful guitars with interesting border blues hooks, uh, and it's just it's thirty eight minutes. It's just this powerful thing that you just rumble through really fast. With like the opening song, Lonely Boy is is just it's like this great song with almost like back Cajun Zydeco beat going on at the same time. The third song, this Little Black Submarines, is like 
it's almost if uh, I was listening to it, and you know when you listen to a song and you're like, that's another song. I'm hearing whatever the chord progression is. This happened to me all the time with the, the Green Day album, the big one. American Idiot? American Idiot. Like there's a bunch of riffs and stuff in that that I'd heard in other songs. It's not that they were ripping them off. It's just that, you know, it just recognized it. So the beginning of that song, of this song, Little Black Summaries, has this like, it's just super familiar. It turns out it's very similar to a Blind Faith song, which was Steve Winwood and yeah. um, Eric Ginger Baker and Eric Clapton. Yeah. But it's this little sort of short uh, acoustic part at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it rumbles in with all of this huge guitar fuzzed out. It's like a Zeppelin song. It's like an early Zeppelin song. And it's just the most exciting, fun rock song that I've heard in the longest time since, I would say, since the Them Crooked Vultures album. Like in that terms of like rock, you know. And uh, I've just had so much fun listening to it. And I was really happy that it came out. It's a great album. I'm not looking forward to hearing it on every commercial, but then again, I don't have TV, so it shouldn't be a big problem. (laughs) Nice. So uh, another theme of my year this year has been artists or recordings that have surprised me that are a little out of my wheelhouse. And (laughs) one of those was uh, Wugazi, which came out over the summer, which was similar to DJ Danger Mouse when he came out with that mashup of Jay-Z and and the Beatles. This was a group of guys got together and they mashed up Fugazi and the Wu-Tang Clan. And it, this is fucking phenomenal. It's like, it's creepy to see how Fugazi's beats worked with Wu-Tang's rap. Like, it was amazing. Like, it's to the point where you're like, you can't believe that these so- this is not the original presentation of these songs. And the thing is that, like, I know Wu-Tang from, you know, from, they were really, you know, when I was in high school. You know of them. Well, no, no. When I was in high school and college, they were actually, because the, the, on Long Island, they, they were from Staten Island. So, like, all the, all the hardcore kids I grew up with, everybody listened to Wu-Tang. So, like, I've... I've listened to you know Thirty Six Chambers and you know, like all, and when I worked at the record store that went out the Black and Silver album like that sold like crazy you couldn't ignore Wu-Tang it Wu Tang forever yeah exactly the bees and all you know like I know I know my Wu Tang and Fugazi of course you know with the, you know the, the seminal you know Imakai and Guy Picciotto and you know the whole DC scene stuff like that it's just it's amazing I'm just every time I listen to it, I'm impressed at how great it is and how I can actually like a hip hop record so it's kind of crazy that really is I don't I don't know if people listening at home understand what he just said or the significance <laughs> of that yeah but it's not but a true hip hop record it's, because it's because it's a mashup. No, it doesn't still, matter. It's yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. That's that's something. That's yeah. wow. Yeah. And another another similar. Uh, my the last two things I'm going to talk about is similar. One, um, but there's a uh, band called the Go Team, which is uh, they're a British band, and they I've had a couple of songs over the years from them. I've gotten MP3s from mixes and things like that, and they ha- kind of have a hip hop like an indie hip hop kind of vibe to it. But they put out a record called Rolling Blackouts that in my top five albums of the year could not stop listening to. Just so energetic. And you just can't not dance to it. It mixes some hip hop songs, but it mixes some J pop songs because there's like a couple of Japanese girls in the bands, and they do these like '50s, uh, '60s pop esque kind of Japanese pop songs that are just like. And then and the next song is like a you know got beats and like all this stuff. It's totally amazing. I saw them live in San Francisco, and it was like I was sweating at the end of the show because you can't not move. I mean, it was just a ton of fun. It was just a huge surprise. I didn't expect it at all. So uh, the Go Team was one of my favorites of this year. Well, you were also next to the kitchen. I mean, and the ovens were putting out a lot of. Um, what you said you were sweating this oh, is no, why cause... we can't do a t- an improv show because you're like that's dumb next thing <laughs> I love I love responding to your joke, <laughs> jokes with serious like what I wasn't near a kitchen what fuck you <laughs> there go the headphones right on cue I haven't done that in forever uh, that was great I had a feel well, like not good enough that I wanted to get up and actually walk away. All right, fair like enough. I still sat here. <laughs> you know, wait for it. Two, three. <laughs> we, we, we talk about this every year because there's been a lot of albums. But I just wanted to mention really quickly the, the last December's album, The King is Dead, which again was like you're a band you really like releases something and you worry about it. And I didn't like it at first. And then over time, like I, I got to really like it. And I, I saw that apparently this album was really successful. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't. I did not know that because I don't pay attention to such things. But I, I, I just want to point out that June him makes me cry every yes. time I hear uh, it. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a beautiful song. That's all I need to say. It's a it's a great album. And apparently, Colin's going to write kids' books for a while now. Good. A that little sucks. a little more country than I wanted. The, the new EP too is a little more country than I'm. I li- I like that. Yeah, I'm okay with yeah, that but, now. It's yeah. taken me a while, but yeah. I'm okay. Old country is fine. Yeah, but I can see that point of view. But I think that's what I didn't like at first. But then I got used to it, and I did. Yeah. And fun songs. 
it's a good album. So another album that I that I enjoyed that challenged with my enjoyment of music, whatever, is a band called M83, and they put out an album called Hurry Up, I'm, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, and it's a double album. It's it's uh, actually two you know two records, and it is unlike anything I've ever heard. I mean, it is it's electronic. It's it, I, it really feels like one of the first like okay, this is the future of music kind of kind of feeling. Some you know very kind of airy, ambient you know kind of fade into the background songs. Some incredibly poppy. Like there's one song where it's just like a little kid talking about a magic frog, and like it's it, like I, it's hard. I find it hard to explain. I even put it into words. You just got to hear it. You know, a lot of sequencers, a lot of you know keyboards, synths, and stuff like that. But also guitar. You know, like the, usually I tend to go. To, I'm more guitar. You know, guitar, bass, drum. Like you know, I got you know those are my kind of roots. I have a hard time with electronic music, but M83 totally turned me around in terms of what can be done with electronic music, and it just it really impressed me. And it's, oh, it's amazing. On the live show side, though, I I did see two bands that I never thought I would ever see in live again in my life. So I wanted to call call those out. In May, I went over to London to see Suede perform. So everyone you know, knows my obsession with Britpop and everyone knows I love Morrissey and the Smiths and stuff like that. The band that got me into Britpop first was Suede. First Britpop song I ever heard was Metal Mickey by Suede back in 1992. And I saw them every time they played New York City in the 90s and then they broke up in the early 2000s. And then this year they got back together to play Coachella. And I hate Coachella. I hate festivals. I don't want to go outside. I don't want thousands of people sweating on me. And like, you know, <laughs> and um, so I said, I'm like, oh, but Suede's playing. I really should go. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go. And I'll never forget, like, so... The night they played, I was home on a Saturday night. I didn't go out. I think I was just taking it easy. And I just started going to YouTube and just like, swayed Coachella and waiting for the videos to start popping up. And then, like, right around two in the morning, people started uploading their videos that, for the show that happened that night. And I remember I watched, it was the first song of the first set, I think, uh, uh, of their set. I think it was, I think they played Animal Lover or Animal Nitrate, one of those animal songs. And, like, within 30 seconds, I was like, oh, fuck, they're really good. I was like, damn it, why didn't I go? And so then I looked online, I saw that they were playing three nights in London in May where they were going to perform. The first night was their first album, the second night was their second album, the third night was their third album. I couldn't afford or couldn't schedule to go to all three, but I was able to get tickets for the first one. And I flew to London, two-day trip or one trip, went to London, hung out with some friends, went to see Suede, flew right back to the States. And I'm so glad I did to see them in England where you know, like with a crowd of people who had t-shirts from tours back in the 90s, stuff like that. It was like one of those great, you know, kind of like reunion kind of gigs. Wait, so that's okay to wear the show? Where oh, I didn't know. I didn't wear I didn't wear the shirt. They did. No, they, but you're saying it's okay for them. No, well, I, I no, I still Ooh. disagree. I, I, I wouldn't have worn a Suede shirt to that show. I wouldn't have chosen that choice, but it was interesting to see people with like the tour shirt from 94 and like, yeah, so I mean... I, but I, my rule still stands apply. You don't wear the shirt to the band um, that you're seeing. Anyway, so that was one great show. And then this past summer in Brooklyn, a band called Christy Front Drive, which is an old emo band from the late 90s that I loved, that I never yeah, got I was to. There. You were there. Yeah, I dragged you to that show. What did you think of that? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed yeah. it a lot. Yeah. They, um, they're one of those bands that I never got to see live. They broke up over the past 10 years. They've gotten together every now and then. They were Colorado-based, so they'd always play in Colorado, so I'd never see them. But for some reason, they played Brooklyn, and I was like, fuck it, I got to go, go. So I dragged Connor, dragged, dragged a bunch of my friends, and it was, a, it was a lot. That was a fun night. That was a lot. It was a really good show. Very uh, Texas is the reason like that kind of era of who did the, re- the lead singer sing for before that oh no well no after christy front drive he did oh. a band called the 101 which is the band that does the ifanboy video theme song yes yes that's where it comes from yes so there you go so ties back to ifanboy wait what song is that never in i've never heard that song <laughs> it's good it's, you should check it out so yeah so that was music 2011 it was great it was a good it was actually a really good year for music it was hard to just whittle it down to these ones that we talked about we want to take a sec to thank Graphically iFanboys. Part of Graphically the Digital Comics is what Graphically has. There are over 5,000 comics from 250 publishers. Those are big numbers. Trust me. From stuff from Marvel, Boom, Archaea. Now Image, same day as print. You can, you, can, you can get the digital the same day they come out. Top Shelf, Top Cow, all sorts of publishers and, and a bunch of stuff that you, you never even heard of. Stuff that's really good, maybe. So you can do some exploring. Uh, and there's all sorts of more stuff to come. We're constantly developing new stuff and bringing on new people and putting new content up there. You can read comics on anything you want, basically. Uh, you can read on the web. You can read them on your iPhone, your iPad, your Android phone or tablet. You can read them on your Kindle Fire. You can read them on a boat. You can read them with a goat. Wait, that, sorry. You could. If you want to do you it. could. I've just read Green Eggs and Hand a lot. And then there's the uh, iOS 5 newsstand uh, on Apple devices. You can subscribe to stuff uh, like The Walking Dead, Invincible, Savage Dragon, Irredeemable, and more is coming up where it just gets delivered right to your device. So that's pretty sweet. You can get The the Walking Dead on the Barnes & Noble Nook or Android devices or via the Amazon App Store. Just get to graphically.com and you'll find your way to all of those things. Uh, it is a bold new world of digital comics and we're pretty excited to be involved with it. Yeah. 
Speaking of comics, we normally talk to you every week about the week's new releases in the Pick a Week podcast, but uh, we've been doing the all-media show over the last two weeks. But we always close out the all-media show with a look at the year in comics, a brief look. We're not going to go crazy. We're going to talk a few, a few minutes about each one of these We spent a lot of time talking about comics. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes uh, it feels like it's all I do. Yeah. We're not going to go into super detail, but we do it every week. But here's some of the books we thought were the best this year or the worst worth talking about. For me... Criminal, The Last of the Innocent, which was the latest criminal miniseries, uh, really made me happy because, number one, Criminal was my favorite, one of my favorite books for years. And I thought the last couple of minis weren't as great as the first couple. And this one not only ret- was a return to form, it might have been the best one. The best criminal of them all, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a take on Archie. If you know Archie comics, it was all underneath the surface. Not even underneath the surface. It was pretty much on the surface. It was a twisted criminal take on the Archie comics world, and it was brilliant. It was heartbreaking. The uh, great Sean Phillips art. It was one of the definitely one of the books of the year. It's fantastic. For me, the year in comics is summed up with an X. This is the year that if Porno you ask, comics. Yeah, I'm really into the triple X comics. No, this is the year that the X-Men finally, after many, many years, they- Lost in the wilderness? They got it right. They finally got it right. And we've had glimmers of moments, you know, Grant Morrison's run and, and, and Joss Whedon's run, and glimmers of moments of getting back to the, the return to form. But this year, line-wide from- what I think is the best ongoing at Marvel right now, Uncanny X-Force, to the unexpected, amazing launch of Wolverine the X-Men, to the bastards renumbering, but then I'm okay with it, Uncanny (laughs) X-Men, New Mutants uh, with Abnett Lanning, Peter David still rolling on X-Factor. I mean, like, this is the strongest the X-Line has ever been, and it's like a great moment in time, and I love, as an X-Fan, I love it. So, um, yeah, just just tip of the hat to Nick Lowe, the editor at Marvel, for pulling it all together, and then all the creators involved. I mean, as an X-Men fan, this has been a dream come true this year. My favorite series ongoing for quite some time is and continues to be Scalped from, from Vertigo, Jason Aaron, and R.M. Guerra, and there we're rolling towards the end, and it, it seems to be going in good form. A lot of stuff happened this year uh, in that book that just cemented its position as sort of one of the best books being done all year, and, and you'll hear the, uh, the other guys talking a lot about you know his work at Marvel and all sorts of stuff, but for my money, the best thing he's doing is still scalped, and it's, it's ratcheting up, and it's every bit as good as like when you were watching The Shield, and it was ending, and you're like, no, it's just too many plates in the air, and and uh, the stories with Shunka uh, this year have been wonderful. And, and Dash, at this point, has been shot in the face and can't talk. And it, that's really taking advantage of the comic book medium to tell that story. Great storytelling and wonderful characters. And, and it's terrifying is what it is. I'm torn great between wanting to see it end and being terrified of it ending. Yeah, you know, no, I know. Wanting to see what the ending is going to be and then being not wanting to get there. I do love a good ending. Sure. Like it's just, it's I, when, when you can pull off an ending in a comic, it's great. Yeah. One of the best books, uh, not just one book, it went over a couple of books with Fantastic Four. It started in Fantastic Four, and then it went to FF, and now it's back to Fantastic Four again. Jonathan Hickman's run on Fantastic Four has been great. It's, been, it's brought the book back to relevance. Yep. Over many years, we've talked about the fact that Fantastic Four has been off the relevance radar of a comic book world. It's sort of a legacy book that people didn't really talk about or buy or care about. Mil- but Miller and Hitch couldn't even do it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so Jonathan Hickman brought it back. It's one of the most popular books out there now, and it's been an incredibly interesting and intricate story that people were complaining about that had too many parts, but then they brought all those parts together in Fantastic Four 600 beautifully. And uh, one, of the be- one of the best single issues of the year in Fantastic Four 600, just talk- uh, 100 pages of all content. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, wonderful, and it continues to be one of the best books. Even split the two now, it's Fantastic Four and FF. One book telling one side of the story, the other book telling the other side of the story, and it's been, it's been great. If you had to sum up this year, it would be number ones. There are a lot of number ones this year, <laughs> but for my money, the best number one issue that came out this year wasn't from DC Comics, it was from Marvel Comics, and that was uh, Daredevil number one from Mark Wade and Paulo Rivera. Um, and then what Mark Wade's continued to do with Paulo Rivera and Marcos Martin on art is dare to take Daredevil and go in the do the only thing that they could have done to save the title and go in the opposite direction of the dark, grim, and gritty Daredevil that we've had over the past 10 years, which has been great, don't get me wrong, it's been good, but to bring back swashbuckling, bright, primary colors Daredevil into the world, and it has just been one of the best series on the stands this year. So needed. So needed. Drink of cold water on a hot yeah. day. And right on to Marvel and the Mark Wade for taking the risk because it would have been yes. would have been so easy to just continue on the path, but to, to say no, we need to shake it up, and this is how we need to do it, and then and then execute on it. High five, totally. And also, like the, like the, he could you could have you could have really alienated the fans. Yep. 
and in a way because it's such a departure and i'm i'm surprised that people have have taken to the art as as well as they have especially yeah. on daredevil but they, they should because paulo rivera and uh, marcos martin together well that are, that was know, the best part we, we, we were all excited for marcos martin um mm-hmm. because we we're big fans of his and then they start with paulo rivera and like well i you know i enjoy paulo rivera's work on one moment in time that had a little bit of a sulliness because of one moment in time sucked and the story that is not the art but what i love is like paulo rivera knocked a bunch of people over because like whoa like that i thought it was the it, it was such a great way to start and in total, it was, it was, yeah. it was an actual reinvent- reinvention. Yeah. yeah, we don't see that. We hear the word a lot. Yeah, but uh, that was totally it. One of the things that surprised me a lot this year is all very similar to Scalp, I guess, from Vertigo is uh, is Northlanders, which is ending. But man, has that been good? That we're sort of ramping up the last sort of nine part stories of this. Brian Wood started this odd little book about Vikings that wasn't really sequential he would just do arcs and then move on to different people that weren't related to the last one but you know all the artists that have been on it have been just wonderful artists and this last bit was uh, originally uh, drawn by paul Azaceta, and then declan shalvey is doing a run on it now basically telling sort of the history of iceland it's amazing. <laughs> it sounds really it's amazing. boring when yeah. i tell you that but iceland and these viking families and uh i i really when i was thinking about comics i could put on this list of five that popped up and i was like I, you know it's been as good as anything out there right now and uh it's it's gonna be pretty impressive that they'll end up having 50 issues at the end of this weird book about vikings from a dude who's never done anything like that there's gonna be 10 trades and i've been, I've been reading it in trade and it's wonderful that each book is a different story that's completely right. different than the other ones it's surprising too yeah not sure why but it is Um, well it's an anthology which is basically what it is yeah well it's just that when i when i previously when i thought of brian wood's work it was not this you know and and at first it was he's going to make him talk like normal people and that we're way over that now Uh, it's just great this was a year we talked a lot about fun comics i think we all came back around to hey this thing should be fun and one of the most fun books was rocketeer adventures it was a miniseries from idw Featuring the return of the Rocketeer, done by some of comics' best creators uh, as an anthology miniseries, little short stories, including the highlight of the second issue, the Darwin Cook issue. Second issue, issue number two. Um, one of the best series of the year, one of the best single issues of the year, one of the most fun books of the year, everything about it. What I love about it is that like, if you had said to me, like, hey, IDW is going to do new Rocketeer material, my first reaction is, oh, fuck no, don't do that. Yeah, like because it was just what Dave Stevens did was so perfect on the title. But got to get handed Scott Dunbier as an editor. He picked the right people and did the right kind of tone. And you realize that you know, yes, a character that is to, that is connected to a creator so innately does it doesn't need to end there. And that you can tell stories by other creators, and they can stay true to Dave Stevens' vision, and they totally did. That whole anthology was so much fun. It was great. It's it's a, it's as good a collection of talent as you could get on one thing. The hardcover just came out, and just the the names on it and the work they did. They all knew other people were going to be on it. They brought their best possible work. The only thing that had bugged me about the hardcover is that they went with the fucking Alex Ross painting cover as opposed to some of the great Dave Stevens variants that they had. Bad move. Yep. Ask me. Anyway, I totally agree with you there, Connor. But um, if you ask me, the best indie book of the year has got to go to, and you're going to hear a lot about it right around awards times and Eisner time, and especially his best of lists. But Love and Rockets, New Stories, Volume Four was. Uh, it was. I wrote it as a book of the month a few months ago. Jaime Hernandez just completely delivered an amazing, amazing story with his characters. And Love and Rockets is a is a legendary title amongst comics, and it deservedly so. But this is a comic that anybody can pick up and read and get what's going on and get the emotion and get the just seeing a a real master of the craft doing his best work ever i am reading almost no marvel comics anymore at this point i'm reading daredevil and i'm reading thunderbolts and uh i I, thunderbolts has been the port in the storm that was the fear itself for the last however many months it's been it's a team book that is a lot of fun it's very funny it's got all the sort of characters in marvel comics adventure that, that one would want and now they're traveling through time They went and they fought some Nazis, and I don't know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy, and I don't know where it's going to go, and and it's just just the right tone for what I want to read. It takes me right back to the old Thunderbolts books. You know, they're not the same. They're more modern than that now, but it's it's been good the the whole time, and the art our teams between uh, again Declan Chalvey and Kev Walker just trading back and forth I've I've enjoyed this as much as any other sort of superhero comic book that I've read this year one book we tend to forget about because it's been so good for so long and it's, it plugs along and doesn't come out exactly monthly so it's, there's some months where it's not out it's Chew from Image Comics which continues to be one of the best books in the market inventive fun funny they do future issues or they jump ahead even with the numbering. They, and they, we don't even know what's going on. They, there's always Easter eggs. There's always little jokes in the background. It's a complete book. They use the medium in, in ways no other team does. Um, there's always something new and inventive in an issue of Chew. And I think 
with all the stuff going on, we tend to forget about Chu, but Chu continues to be, every time it comes out, a uh, five-star book and uh, one of the best. Absolutely. Um, and s- similar on, you know, continuing the uh, Image Comics love, Savage Dragon this year hit, recently uh, Eric Larson hit issue number 175. And say what you will about w- whether you like Larson's work or you like Savage Dragon or whatever, he's written and drawn 175 issues of that series going back to 1992. It's an amazing feat, and he's working his way into the annals of the comic book, you know, Hall of Fame. If he can break 200, he's up there with Cerebus and Spawn and some of these t- the independent titles that show that you can, you know, a creator can sit down and put his head down and do his book and do it the way he wants to do it and for me i love savage dragon i love larson's work you know and and it's inventive it's funny it's action-packed it's just fun comic books and it's for i can't think of another title that for you know nearly 20 years has been so consistently good there you go also from image comics i think (laughs) one of the real fun things this year for me has been uh reed gunther (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) it's this book that came from out of nowhere i'm actually josh fialkoff was writing some stuff for us the writer and he did a little preview and interview with the guys from Reed Gunther right before it came out. And I was like, oh, that, that looks cute. That's whatever. And uh, that's where I first saw it. And it's this Western about a cowboy who rides a bear. <laughs> um, and it is as fun as that description connotes. And he gets into misadventures with monsters and supernatural beings and stuff. But it's very lighthearted. It's very fun. He was born while being dragged across a Civil War battlefield. And they hit a bump. And then he flew out of his mother and was caught. And then he really wanted more than anything else in the world was to have a mustache. Uh, <laughs> Shane and Chris Houghton bring an incredible amount of levity and fun to these pages. Fun comics. Yeah. They're great for everybody to read and, and, and more people should check it out. I've Sh- loved this book. This Shane year. and Chris were one of my favorite interviews that did on the video show this year, meeting them at Ape mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And they're just like, they're just like the nicest guys in the world. And they had the day off from fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are young. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, guys, that's really more about me than you. And now that we hit the DC proper corner of this, the best DC book I thought was Batman from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. We loved Scott Snyder's detective run, but I wasn't prepared for how much I'd enjoy Greg Capullo's art, which has been fantastic. It's changed the tone of the story, whereas Snyder's detective Batman stories were very dark and sort of ho- tinges of horror. This is much more of an action-adventure type story, and it's just been the first three issues have been fantastic, or the fourth, four issues, three issues, four issues, whatever. Wonderful. As Ron said earlier, the, the X-Men line's been great. The Batman line, on the whole, has been pretty good, too. Hey, uh, the, the, the commentary on Batman is, I'm reading it. Yeah, every, we're all reading it. That's yeah. how good it is. It's, yeah, which I think has ever happened. It's one of no. the best iterations of Batman in a while. Yeah. For me, though, the DC relaunch has been all about The Flash. That's been my favorite book out of all the DC books that have come out. Francis Manipal stepping up, along with his colorist Brian Bucoletto, to be you know kind of a writer-artist uh, team, completely controlling the vision and what they're doing, being able to tell their story both visually, both with the art and the layouts, as well as the dialogue and the story. It's coming together to be something I think is going to be really special. So Flash, as a big Flash fan, I've been dying for a good Flash series. I can get, my, get behind it. It's been nearly... Fuck, been years. Uh, we've had you know glim- glimmers and moments when John's returned to the title and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been hasn't been to the point of where I love the Flash and this is getting there. It's close, so I'm excited. Oddly enough, to me, and I would have never, never, never suggested this might happen, but Wonder Woman is my favorite book out of the DC relaunch. From whatever the aesthetic is of it, the way that it's written and sort of the the sparseness of it, and the really world class work that Cliff Chang is doing drawing the book, and I think it's Matthew Wilson on colors. Like it's just a great book in every aspect, and it doesn't. They're not hanging it on anything that happened before, and and I think that's what's kind of like it's a, it's a new thing using a very very old concept, and that book needed it, and, and so out of all the sort of issues that have that have come out from dc and sort of the like this one actually reinvented it they're actually doing something different whereas you know in batman they don't have to do something different they just have to do something really good uh with wonder woman it was clear they had to do something different because nothing else was working uh, and i i really hope that this continues for a good long while great stuff so that's just a, a glimpse of the comics that we read this that we read this year i mean i'm up to i know josh you know you're pulling back but i'm i i'm getting 20 to 30 issues a week now it's ridiculous yeah. uh, it's those been a, are some of the best ones there's yeah. more great ones we just those are some of the, those are 15 great ones that we read this yeah. year there's also other ones which you, you can know. you could also go back and listen to 50 yeah. hours yeah. of us talking about it over the last year yeah. 50. and so we'd like to end the show every year with talking about the best people we think are working in comics right now our favorite creators Starting it off with Jason Aaron, yep. who is, I think, the most versatile creator working in mainstream comics right now. He writes Wolverine, he writes Wolverine and the X-Men, he writes Scalped, and they're all different toned. Wolverine and Wolverine and the X-Men have a similar tone, but they're different. They're, they're not like each other. And Scalped is completely different. 
every book is great for its own different reasons. And you don't, if you just know from Scalped, you wouldn't know the same guys writing Wolverine and the X Men. If you just do from Wolverine and the X Men, you wouldn't know the same guys writing Scalped. It's, and then it's didn't, been he, that didn't he finish up Astonishing Wolverine and Spider Man? He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So that's just a whole other thing. Yeah. And you know, even even Wolverine has sort of changed from being one thing to another. Yeah, Wolverine got completely and seriously dark in the middle. Now it's funny and fun. He can do really dark and serious and scalped in the Wolverine storyline with the kids, uh, or he can do really funny and goofy and in Wolverine the X Men in the Wolverine series. Now it's just amazing. Punisher Max. Punisher uh, Max, you know, Punisher Max, I forgot. Yeah, right, yeah, totally. Whole different I mean, it's all over the place, and this is a guy who, you know, I really think that you could give him, I, I, now I want to see them, like sometimes you put a guy on something, you'd be like, oh, yeah, stick with this, you're really good at this. Like I want to see them put him on as much different stuff as possible to see what he can do with it. Yeah. Right now, I haven't seen anything he can't do. Next up, I guess, would be Scott Snyder, who we would we would kind of have to mention, shouldn't we? Since I think he, he I think he got seventy eight percent of the pick of the weeks this year. <laughs> In a monster year, yeah. I think, yeah. I think. Uh, I get to the point. I just I made him I made it a pick of the week recently, and I was just like, oh Christ, <laughs> this guy again? Come on! But you know what? He earned it. You have you have Scott Snyder who came out of doing American Vampire for Vertigo, and then all of a sudden he's on Batman, or he was on Detective Comics prior to that, finishing up a run with Jock this year that was, at Jock and Francesco Francovia, uh, that was a wonderful. I, I really loved that. And then they moved forward and when they announced the DC relaunch, I was like, oh man, he's their guy now. Yep. He's stepping up right next to you know Grant Morrison and Jeff Johns to be their guy. He's he's doing Batman and then and then he came and he did Swamp Thing, something that, that a lot of people have blown it on, basically. <laughs> um, and, and they're all great and reverential and they have his voice now Snyder I think unlike Aaron he has a tone he has a voice yes. that comes through in the books and, and it's it's very specific and if you like it like he, they're well thought out they're crafted really well he knows what he's doing and he's he's the most passionate person who I have met in comics in as long as I can remember I've, ne- I've never met anybody who cares so much that he's doing good work it's so important. And at the same time, you also have Severed over at Image, which he's doing with his friend Scott Tuft. And it's a great little story that's, that's sort of outside. It's a short story and it's outside of these superhero worlds. Just about a bunch of different stuff, even though he's, he's definitely got a voice. Like he's still all over the place genre-wise within the framework of those sort of he, things. And he did the American Vampire miniseries along with the series too. Oh. He did a lot of things this year. Yeah, that was American Vampire in World War II basically. He did one in Europe and one in one – in, uh, uh, Japan, uh, yeah, and uh, those were, oh, they were both great. I mean, and then just I, I'm, sh- I'm not shocked, but I'm, I'm really impressed by the um, like the massive success of Batman and, and how much the fan base has really glommed onto it. I, I, it's hard to remember what was even happening in Batman. Oh wait, I know, um, <laughs> what hap- it's what's happening in Detective. But let's let's which is, which is very popular right now. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, I don't, you know, whatever. To each their own. I say go for it. But uh, I mean. Scott is a as big a rising star as I think we've seen in a long time, and if you've heard him on the show or you've seen him on any of our video shows, like the man, dude deserves it. You know, he's he's a great guy. So my pick, my pick for the uh, best person working in the comics right now, I got to give it to Rick Remender. If you ask me, this is probably Remender's been in the comic industry for a while now, like ten plus years. This is a, a career year for him. If you look at what he's done at Marvel, absolutely. He worked through the trenches. You know, he was an inker for years, and you know, an artist, and then he started doing his own independent comics. And he gave us, you know, uh, books like you know, uh, Strange Girl and um, and uh, Night, uh, what, the Mary book. I forget Nightmare Mary or whatever it is. Um, and then Fear Agent, which we love. And then you know, moves over to Marvel, and he's a guy who, if you follow him on Twitter, you can see him wrestle with the idea of doing corporate comics and the idea of, you know, kind of moving away from his own creator and stuff and doing stuff for Marvel and making that transition. And when, you know, while he was at Marvel, he did, you know, he did Punisher, which was great. And the Frank and Punisher was, you know, was different and it was definitely challenged what people did. And he he did some stuff here and there, but it wasn't until this year where he stepped up and took X-Force and took a, a tired, you know, punchline of a of a of a premise of of X Force of a title and this idea of a mutant hit squad, and in the span of a year, I mean, he has become the poster boy of Marvel double shipping. X Force has pretty been out, pretty much been out every other week for this whole year. It, the title launched in 2010 in October, I think it was, and since then we're up to issue 19. Which is insane. Like, do the math. Like, he, he was shipping more books in in a month than pretty much any other title. Working with people like Jerome Pena and Isad Ribic, and you know, even taking people like Billy Tan and Mark Brooks, who I'm not very big fans of, and making it work and creating a cohesive story, and then killing himself to make the story to be as tight and as perfect as it could be. He created one of the best epic stories this year. I mean, yeah, 
Uncanny X Force is one of the easily one of the best books being put out by Marvel or DC, yeah. and not only that, but also ending Fear Agent this year as well. Yeah, so he ended Fear Agent, which was a bittersweet for us, but ended on a high note. It was the pick of the week, and it was just an amazing poetic end. And, and you could see his progression as a writer, and how great he's, he's come. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm totally, I don't want to dismiss what he's done with Venom again, taking a '90s character and creating, you know, which was a punchline and creating a compelling emotional kind of connection to Flash Thompson of all people and making it, you know, uh, a must. Oh, that worked, huh? Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't have. That's one of the few books that I'm still reading. Yeah, Marvel. that shouldn't I mean, have like worked, that's... yeah. So, I mean, if you ask me, you know, Remender, you know, he puts his, you talk about, you know, we were talking about Scott Snyder and, and also Jason Aaron putting so much of themselves into their work and so much of, you know, that enthusiasm energy. Rick loves to be doing comics and you can see it. It comes off on the page and he's come so far as a writer this year and this is like, he's at the top of his game. I can't wait to see what he does next year with Secret Avengers and continues on with X Force, it's going to be some amazing stuff. Hopefully, so I feel like I feel like he figured it out this year. You know, enthusiasms. Yeah, exactly. So, great year for comics. Great. It was a great year. It was a great year for media. I mean, I I, I was very entertained this year. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> well, I guess it was working then. Yes. So, are cool. you not entertained? So that was our year in 2011. We hope you enjoyed it. How long will we keep quoting Gladiator? Till the day we die. Commander of the armies of the North, Maximus Decimus Meridius. All right, come Ron, on. Do you like that movie? That was all right. I've, I've seen it. Hmm. <laughs> Connor and I used to watch that together. We would just yeah, good times. Would, awkward. Yeah. She's right. like, you just want to watch Gladiator again? Yeah, I do. Take us home. Let's do that. All right, go to ifanbo.com. You can comment on this show. You can read all the stuff that we put up there on a very regular basis. And uh, you, if you haven't listened to the first part of our all media podcast, go back and do that. We will be back with the regular po- comic book podcast next time. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash iFanboy, or you can be, go to facebook.com slash iFanboy, should that be your want. I believe we're even on Google+. Plus. Yeah, we are. So. Yeah, we are. Well, th- there you go. We have social media covered, yep. so that's fine. We normally do a video show, and it will be back, but I'm not telling you when or how. <laughs> You'll have to stick around. And My that's, carrier uh, pigeon. He will drop off a zip drive. Yes, a zip drive. And you plug it into exp- your computer. That, that will get expensive, and we would <laughs> definitely have to start charging at that point. <laughs> But it's not going to happen, so don't worry about it. Uh, in the meantime, email us at contact at ifanboy.com or call our voicemail line 888-FANBOY-326-2697. We will read your emails and listen to your voicemails on the weekly podcast. And if you like what you're listening to, if you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoyed iFanboy through the year, go to iTunes and write a review. It helps people uh, discover the podcast as uh, well as gives uh, shares your opinion and helps spread the word. Write a review for iFanboy, iFanboy Don't Miss, Word Balloon, all the other great podcasts that we know and love. We talked about, you know, write a review for Mates and for Tobolowski or for uh, Tom Rosaka, man. Len for all. Can't we just quit this and just listen to Mates? We really should. We really should. But also, please help spread the word about iFanboy. We had a great year in 2011. We want to thank everybody that participated on the site. We got a new site design, a whole new back we got a bunch of new writers. The iFanboy team is growing. Graphically has been great to work for. I mean, it's just been a, a stellar, amazing year, and we do it all for everybody who's listening. We do it all for you. So we want to thank everybody for listening, for your support. And hopefully 2012 will be even better and even bigger. So uh, with your with your continued support. So thank you, everyone. And if you listen to the show and you don't use, check out the website, please check it out in 2012. At least go on Monday and make your pull list. We'd like to see what everybody's pulling and what they're reading. And it affects the pull list we read it in the show. So go, if you're part of the show listening every week and, and don't go, at least go make your pull list and check yeah. that out. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we've been taking a break for the holidays. We're going to be back with the Pick of the Week podcast and doing what we do every day. So until then, I'm Ron. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks very much, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> So